What does that mean to you? Let me get out of the way, actually. Just have a little think. What does that mean to you? What emotions does it evoke? What, what feelings begin to show themselves when we just present that to you? And what about, what about this one? Next one. What about that one? What do you feel about that? What was he saying to you? If anything. What about that? Does, does that mean anything? So, so you've had the cross with, with Christ on it. You've had the cross without Christ on it. And, and, and now, there's, now there's nothing. How do those three images make you feel? What thoughts come into your head? What do you start thinking about? I remember years ago, I was part of, um, I was part of a spiritualist church. Yeah, yeah, an actual, they called it a church. Uh, and the building that we, we met in was, was more like a chapel. Actually, it was a, a smaller place than this. But, but they called it a church. And uh, at this church, we met every Sunday morning at around, oh, I don't know, 10.30, something like that. Oh, and, and we started with refreshments in, in that in that spiritualist church as well. We, we enjoyed fellowship with one another and greeted one another over cups of coffee and tea. There's probably about 30 of us there, if I, if I, if I remember correctly. And, and after, we, um, after we had our refreshments and we chatted and, and said lovely things to each other, we'd sing hymns. We'd sing hymns. Hymns about Jesus. Uh, and um, someone would uh, spark up the organ you know, that little organ in the corner, and, and, and we'd sing. We'd sing about Jesus, and we'd, we'd pray about Jesus. And we'd probably, some mornings, hear someone say something brief about, about Jesus. Sounds a lot like our meetings, doesn't it? I mean, you can remove the organ bit, unless we put it on the keyboard, and replace it maybe with something a bit more contemporary, a bit more modern. Um, and boom, what, what do you get? You, you've, got, you've got us. You've got a typical Sunday church service or church meeting. Now things got a little bit wacky after that, I must confess. Um, actually, no, thinking about it, we, we can get a little wacky too, can't we? We can do that as well. So, so maybe that wasn't so much of a stretch. But, you know, they, they brought words of knowledge. They did that too. They, they, they brought words of knowledge and... And they had somebody actually stand up and, and preach, too. All right, maybe maybe preaching was again a bit of a bit of a stretch. Um, it, they, 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 the, the words of knowledge might have been accurate, but uh, um, they probably didn't come from a very good place. Uh, the preach really wasn't a preach. It was somebody called a, a clairvoyant. Anybody know what a clairvoyant is? So a psychic, bringing his words from the other side. But I didn't know any better. Uh, that was my, my first brush, really, with organized religion in any, in any way. And, and I'd, always, I'd always had this spiritual side. I'd, uh, and and, and this, this place, the, these people, they were, they were the first to, to ground it, to help me begin to, to shape and form what what I believed. And, and when I think back to it, it sounds a bit weird. They actually first introduced me to Jesus. Isn't that, doesn't that sound odd? A non-Christian place, well, now not, I believe it's non-Christian now, introduced me initially 
to a real tangible Jesus. I'd been given, who got given a Gideon Bible at school? Anybody got given a Gideon Bible, a little red thing? Yeah, a little red New Testament, I think it was. It wasn't a full Bible, it was just a, a New Testament. Um, but that didn't help me get to know Jesus. Got to confess, it was just something you got given. And, and, and if you were lucky, you managed to get two because you thought you were being a bit cheeky. So you hid the one behind your back, you got another one. And then they, they sat on your shelf for years later and you wonder what you were going to do with them. Um, I might even still have mine somewhere. Who's still got theirs? Anybody? Anybody? There you go, Pat and Faye, you've still got yours. Might have mine hanging around somewhere, my one or two. Yeah, but the thing is, time, time spent reading books as well didn't, didn't introduce me to Jesus. And I read a lot of weird books back in my kind of teens. Uh, a lot of books about psychics and Nostradamus and, and all that, Wicca, witchcraft and all that stuff. I read a load of that stuff. None of that introduced me to Jesus. But those kind-hearted but admittedly off-course people introduced me to Jesus. And actually, they introduced me to the idea of the cross. Because before that time in my life, I hadn't given the cross of Jesus much thought. I knew that it was attached to Easter, but the chocolate was much more engaging. Um, but after, after connecting with that, with that church, the cross took on a whole new meaning for me. I'm not saying that I understood it properly and, uh, and, all, and, and understood all its significance. Terms like Penal substitutionary atonement, Christus Victor, satisfaction theory. Do you know any of these? Any of these? They, they, weren't, they, weren't, they weren't phrases I'd come across back then. I, I had no idea what they meant. And if I'm honest, I'm still working out what some of that theology means as well. Anybody else still working it out? I'm still working it out. What, what does it all mean? However, I knew, I knew that there was something about that symbol of Christianity that, that I had to respect and I had to honour. Something about it became significant for me. And, and I took to wearing a, a small silver cross, I remember. A small silver cross and, and, it, and it, had, it had Jesus on it. I, just like the first one, it had an image of Jesus crucified. And, and I created a little symbol. Do you want to show that symbol that you, you showed earlier? I created this little symbol here. Can you, can you see what it is? It's the cross. Jesus, kind of stylized Jesus and, and his hands on it. And, and I'd, I'd, I'd draw that everywhere. So it's beginning to get in here somehow through this spiritualist church that something about the cross means something significant, not just to me, but, but to the world. And this is, this is long before I had any real encounter with Jesus. Long before John shed his tears in front of me and I cried with him and I gave my life to Christ. Long before that. Long before that. But I remember that I, 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 would, I would pray while I was attending this spiritual church. And I would pray outside of the church as well. In fact, I even made my family, uh, particularly at Christmas and, and Easter, uh, say grace before we ate. I'd make them all pause. They didn't know what I was doing, but they'd be obliging enough to, to, to not eat and, and, and to pause and close their eyes. And that was long before I, I understood what grace really meant. It was just one of those things that you did. I knew that you're supposed to do that. I didn't really understand why or how. Now, eventually when I became a Christian and I truly accepted Jesus, I, I found that the cross, just like it, 
has done in the spiritualist movement, which it has done now, the spiritualist movement, has all but disappeared. It all but, all but vanished from my experience. So I've encountered Jesus, but then I, then I suddenly find myself not really thinking about the cross. And you can remove the cross from the screen if you would. It all been but sidelined. And we only gave it any real kind of importance when we, when we talked about the resurrection. We acknowledge that the cross is an important part of the narrative, but um, we, didn't, we, didn't, we didn't need to dwell on it. We didn't need to dwell there. And that's, that's what I want to focus on this morning. I want to focus on why we should never forget the cross. Whilst accepting that Jesus is no longer on it. And can you show that second one? Jesus is no longer on the cross. And, and that little silver cross that I used to wear. In fact, the one that I'm wearing now, actually, is a cross I'm wearing now. A more stylized Celtic one. And my little drawing that I made, they're not the end of the story. Christian faith is and should be a faith that calls us to the foot of the cross. And this can be a difficult thing. This can be a difficult thing for some people to accept. Because like I said, I found that even within some movements of Western Christianity, that the cross seems to have gone missing. Or it goes missing for large, large periods of time. And I think even here, we might have been guilty of the same thing. Some of the time. I mean, I mean, we don't talk about it too much. Actually, we talked about it briefly this morning with Pat. But sometimes we, we, do, we do it just enough to break bread and wine together. And, and it's unavoidable at Easter. So we, we have to face it at Easter. It's part of that, that story. And I remember conversations from some folks I had a, a while back. They, even within this church, they pushed back against the imagery of the cross. I remember a number of years ago now, I, don't know if, I significantly remember Pete Gray being involved in this because he was holding it most of the time. We got involved in an Easter walk of witness in Headingley. Anybody remember that? Easter walk of witness in, in Headingley. And we had, I had a couple of quite large wooden crosses made. I think Jeff, uh, Jeff Madeley made them up. And we walked through Headingley with them and then we planted them in a place outside the Ark pub, I think it was. And there was a little performance of the, of the Easter story, Jesus and the two, uh, the two people beside him. And afterwards, I put those crosses up at the church that we had over in Headingley. I put them up either side. And there were people at the time who asked me, why did I do that? Why, why did I put those things there? They didn't actually seem too happy that I put them on display. Really, really pushed back on them. And to be honest, I never got to the bottom of their reasoning. I, I, I never really asked. I never pushed back. Because what I wanted to do, I, 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 felt, I, felt, I felt trapped with wanting to honour Jesus' sacrifice with something really visible. But I didn't want to seem old-fashioned and liturgical either. We weren't the Church of England. So I got trapped between these two, two kind of ideas. And those, so those crosses eventually came down. They, they didn't stay up for many months. And I think as charismatic Christians, because that's what we are, we're charismatic Christians, we believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit and, and all that kind of stuff, and we're so we're described as charismatic Christians. We, we do focus greatly on the sacrifice that Jesus made. We don't forget that. We do, we, do, we do acknowledge that and focus that on that. But at times, I think, I think we, can almost, we almost seem to airbrush the uncomfortable bit about suffering out of the picture. I'm all for God is in control and he wants the best for us and all that. But there is suffering that, that, that comes, 
that comes with it. And instead, what we, what we tend to do is we, we tend to talk about the resurrection. We're cool with that. We talk about that. So, oh, Jesus, is, they'll get him his back. Yay! He's God. He's proven himself and, and what have you. And when we focus on the Pentecost and the dwelling, indwelling of the, of the Holy Spirit in each one of us as, as believers. Yeah, that's cool. Power of God. Whoa, boo. But we, we forget about the cross. So, so for some of us today, this, this, this message might be, a, might be a bit of a challenge. Might be. I'm not making any judgment call on any of you. But some of us, it might. In here, right now, your heart might be churning. Your thoughts might be going around. Because what I want us to do this morning, I want us to focus on the uncomfortableness and the sacrifice that the Christian faith calls us to embrace. Whether we like it or not, whether we like it or not, at the centre of our faith is a cross, which is a device of execution. You turn with me to Mark 8, verse 34. Mark 8, verse 34. In fact, it's in your, um, it's in your notes, actually. If you want to just look at that, you can just look at that if you want to. I do find it's good to try and get yourself thumbing through the Bible if you don't know it well, just to kind of find where all the books are and what have you. So I'll give you a few moments. Mark 8, verse 34. Jesus summoned the crowd along with his disciples and had them gather round. And he said to them, If you truly want to follow me, you should at once completely disown your own life. And you must be willing to share my cross. And experience it as your own as you continually surrender to my ways. Now, in other translations, that's from the, the Passion Translation, which we have for sale at the back of the, of, of the hall. Um, 20 quid, not 25. But in other translations, that verse is quite is a bit shorter. And, and the New International Version says this. It says, Then he called to the crowd along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Now, another favorite version of the Bible I like is the Amplified. So I'm going to read you the same verse from that. It's much longer. Jesus called the crowd together with his disciples and said to them, If anyone wishes to follow me as my disciple, he must deny himself, set aside selfish interests, and take up his cross, expressing a willingness to endure whatever may come, and follow me. Believing in me, conforming to my example in living, and if need be, suffering or perhaps dying because of faith in me. Now, I love that Passion Translation. I love a lot of translations, but I appreciate the detail of the Amplified there. I think, I think it gives this verse a bit more, gives it some more guts, more, more gusto. In fact, actually, it's quite a violent kick in the stomach, isn't it? To get out the last section, suffering or perhaps dying because of faith in me. I don't think you should be able to pass that verse by without being affected by it, without being changed by it when you really begin to think all that it means. Because we find the same thing in Matthew 16, verse 24, and in Luke 9, verse 23. And it's important to really take note of something when you find it in all three of the synoptic gospels. That, that is what I mean by that is, is, is the kind of eyewitness testimonies of what Jesus said and what he did. That's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John's a slightly different kettle of fish. It's a powerful verse, isn't it? And, and, and it would have been shocking, actually, to those who heard Jesus that day. So we've just kind of, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a powerful verse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But actually, people of the day, if they'd have heard him say those words, they would have been Shocked. Shocked. To follow Jesus is much more than just denying 
our own lives, no longer putting ourselves first, in other words, but sharing in the cross of Christ. A purposeful decision, isn't it, to to lay our interests aside and acknowledge that he's got a better plan. No matter what it might bring, no matter what it might do, no matter what it might cause, because he has a plan for eternity, not just the here and the now. So in this variously translated verse, Jesus is simply and powerfully telling his disciples and the crowd that's gathered around him hearing to speak, hearing him speak, is saying that anyone who desires to follow him must take up their cross. In other words, in other words, get serious about this mission on earth. And I think that Western Christianity, shall I even call it trendy Christianity, and shall I further dare call it, using the same labels as some have chosen to giving them, liberal or progressive Christianity, they've tried to somewhat tame the cross. Which, which in turn has left it, left it being just, just a, a symbol to be used in the secular marketplace. So... Where we find it now on coffee mugs and pillows and belts and bracelets. Nobody really understanding what it actually means. The Romans stopped using the cross for crucifixion uh, with Emperor Constantine in the 4th century. And in the hundreds of years since, we have lost some of the barbarity. I think we've lost some of the barbarity and the terror of the cross. Anybody remember Passion of, of, of the Christ? I watched it once. It's a good movie. I couldn't, I can't face watching it again. I probably will at some point. I know it's, I know it veers towards a lot of Catholicism there, and it's, they're quite, they like some of that kind of guts and gore stuff, but I think it really, really brings, brings out what, what the, the barbaric nature of the cross really was. And uh, so when you, so putting that in mind, these first century uh, listeners would have understood, and they'd have been horrified by what Jesus was saying. He's talking about this, this cross, this, this execution device. And they'd have been, I think they'd have been further horrified, knowing that today, in the 20-whatever century, in 21st century, um, that we're laying our, our weary heads on a pillowcase with a cross on it to go to sleep. See, like we, we can further translate Jesus' words in verse 34 and apply it to some modern-day versions of execution. Uh, so we can say this, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their electric chair. I bet, that, I bet you wouldn't put that on your pillow or your bracelet or your belt, would you? The cross is a method of execution and a, a, a horribly brutal one at that. And to the crowds, this would have been confusing, it would have been disturbing, and it certainly wouldn't have been a sign of hope. But Jesus is being completely honest with his followers. He's saying to them, you follow me, this isn't going to be comfortable. Which smacks up against a lot of our Western Christianity. A lady called Fleming Rutledge, from a book, The Crucifixion, again, quotes in your sheet, said this, What would it have been like in Palestine and in the wider Roman Empire to see a crucifixion or to hear it being discussed? How difficult is it for us to grasp this? There is nothing that exists today to which we could compare it. 
Crucifixion was specifically designed to be the ultimate insult to personal uh, dignity, the last word in humiliating and dehumanizing treatment. Degradation was the whole point. I'm heading somewhere with this, folks. Don't worry. But I I wanted to get this firmly planted in your minds about what it means to take up your cross or to share in the cross of Jesus. As that verse says, doesn't it? It says that following Christ, we're to take up our own crosses, or like I say in some Bible translations, to share in his cross. He requires that we, believers, that we deny ourselves. And consequently, you could say that we're to deny the things the world sees as praiseworthy. It might be that when we think of taking up our cross, we think of martyrdom and, and, and persecution. It might, might be that. You might jump to that dramatic kind of end, end point. And anybody remember the images that were splattered all over the news just a number of years ago? People in orange boiler suits with ISIS, things were going to happen. I'm not going to give the detail because kids are here, but things were going to happen, weren't they? Do you remember that? And these were, these were people, these were Christians. These were brothers and sisters in their faith refusing to deny Christ, refusing to pay the ransom or rejoin uh, Islam to the point of what happened. It's easy, isn't it, to forget those things when they're not in front of our faces every day. So some of our brothers and sisters across the world are doing, they're they're certainly taking up their their cross and following Jesus to, to the last. But listen, Although we should ponder those things and, and even prepare our hearts for them, I think it's pretty unlikely that any of us in here will ever be in those situations. Pretty unlikely, I think. I don't think we really ever will be in that kind of situation. It's more likely that taking up our cross will require some less extreme and possibly even daily sacrifices. So what might taking up our cross look like then? It might require us giving up our, our autonomy. That is, do we do things on our own? It might mean giving up our consumer mindsets. I hope it does. I hope, certainly hope it means giving up our pride, our power. In fact, you might even have to give up your cultural respectability. You might have to give up your health, maybe, possibly. If you're in a situation like that, you certainly would. You might have to give up your wealth and your comfort. To take up your cross and follow me means being willing to die in order to follow Jesus. That is dying to, to self in this case. It's a, it's a call to absolute surrender, and it is a struggle. Each time Jesus commanded uh, uh, cross-bearing in the Bible, he, he does say this. Let me, let me read onwards on the verses. For if you choose self-sacrifice, giving up your lives for my glory, you will embark on a discovery of more and more of true life. It's getting good now, isn't it? We're beginning to see the purpose and the reasoning. But if you choose to keep your lives for yourselves, you'll lose what you try to keep. Even if you gained all your wealth and power of this world, everything it could offer you, yet lost your soul in the process, what good is that? So Jesus gives us a glimpse of what could be, but then reminds us where we probably are at. It's It's about eternity. So although the call is tough, the reward for doing it is amazing. Jesus doesn't say, he doesn't say that we may have to take up our cross at some point. He says we must. Jesus says we must. Jesus, not me. 
In what areas of our lives do we need to be willing to make sacrifices? What comforts are we holding on to so tightly? As followers of Jesus, I think we need to accept and embrace the call to deny ourselves and pick up our metaphorical cross. Now, following Jesus is easy when life is running smoothly, isn't it? It's easy. Our true commitment to Jesus is actually how we respond to him when we're going through trials. When we're being pushed against, we're being challenged. And Jesus assured us that his trials will come to his followers, John 16, 33. Discipleship with Jesus demands sacrifice and Jesus never hid that cost. He never, he never dazed around it, if that's a word. He never, he would, this is it. This is what my expectations are. This is what will happen if you decide to follow me. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. So in all three of the, of the synoptic gospels, that is Matthew, Mark and Luke, we find that there are three people... There's three characters in there that you find that they seem to be willing to follow Jesus. But then Jesus questions them further. And then you discover that their, their commitment is half-hearted at best. They wanted to follow him, but actually they failed to count the cost of what following him really means. And none were willing to take up their cross and crucify themselves and their own interests. How many people would respond to an altar call that went like this? You ready? Okay, come follow me and you may face the loss of friends, family, reputation, career, and even your life. Come forward and receive Jesus. No, you notice that's not saying, come forward and you'll receive the best life. It's not what Jesus says in scripture. So if you get that altar call... Actually, the number of false converts might likely decrease. Because such a call is, is what Jesus meant when he said, take up your cross and follow me. And, and if we're wondering whether we've really taken up the challenge of Jesus and, 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 his, and the cross, consider these questions, shall we? Consider these. Are we willing to follow Jesus if it means losing some of our closest friends? I'm not saying Jesus desires that, but it may happen. Because they disagree with your theology, your ideology that you've discovered. Are we willing to follow Jesus if it means separation from our family? Are we willing to follow Jesus if it means the loss of our reputation? It's not very trendy these days. It's not accepted these days. It's not PC these days to say, I believe in traditional marriage. I marriage between a man and a woman. And as a Christian, I believe that. I believe it's biblical, and that's where I'm standing. But that's a difficult thing to say in, 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 this, in this world in which we live. I could go on and give you more examples, but that's just one major one that we're, we're struggling with right now. Are we willing to follow Jesus if it means losing our job? Because your security is based on your job and the finance it brings rather than, than, than God and the provision that he can, he can bring to you. Are we willing to follow Jesus if it means losing our life? <sighs> that's difficult. That's, that's, getting, that's getting tough. So we haven't really grasped this yet. We're in good company as the disciples didn't seem to understand it at first either. Jesus warns them of the cost of discipleship in a metaphorical sense by, by setting up the ultimate real world example. 
he was soon going to be taking up his own cross. The real deal. The painful cross of crucifixion. And he's saying that truly, to truly follow him means following him to the cross. The ultimate denial of comfort, safety, power and wealth. Jesus never asks us to do something that he has not already done. That's why some of the translations of the Bible say, share in his cross and all that went with it. He goes before us, setting that perfect example so that we can find comfort in sharing in his sufferings. 1 Peter 4.13 says, instead, continue to rejoice. For you, in a measure, have shared in the sufferings of the anointed one, so that you can share, so that we can share, we can share in the revelation of his glory and celebrate with even greater gladness. That's awesome. This story's getting better. When we take it across, we're never alone. We're never alone because we're sharing it with him. His cross. And despite metaphorical or even literal pain and discomfort that following Christ can bring, this verse, this 1 Peter verse here, reminds us that it's for us to also share in his glory. And that is, that's mind-blowing. Sharing in the glory. Remember the glory of God where some dude in the Bible has to be put into the cleft of a rock. He has to be put in because he can't face the glory of God. And because of what Christ has done on the cross, we can share in that same glory. That's powerful. Still haven't got it. I'll explode my brain a few more times. Still don't understand how that's possible, but we can. We're sharing in that glory, that power, that revelation. Think about that carefully and and let it fill you with joy. Because we are now part, we are part of that radiance, that majesty, that splendor of the creator himself. All because of what Christ did on the cross. And as we share in, share in that, we can revel in all that he's got for us. In the 19th century, a Belgian priest, Father Damien, left the comforts of home behind and moved to the Hawaiian island of Molokai. I think you pronounce it like that. Let's hope you do. I'll say it with confidence. Molokai. Uh, to minister. And he ministered both physically and spiritually to a group of, of, of leprous people that had been quarantined there. And eventually, Father Damien contracted the disease himself. But he decided to remain with the other men instead of leaving for treatment. And that's a great example of, of what Jesus did. Jesus willingly left heaven wherever heaven is. He willingly, you always go up, don't you? But it's wherever. He willingly left heaven and became a man. Entering into our sufferings and literally taking up his cross and so Father Damien in that story is, is just doing the, is, doing this, is, setting, is, is following the example that Jesus, Jesus gave. Brett McCracken, uh, from the book Uncomfortable, which I based this, this series, says, says this quote. It says, want to follow Jesus? Join him at the cross. To be a follower of Christ is to join his journey of abandoning comfort and enduring suffering. A journey that is foolishness in the eyes of the world. We're going to break bread and wine together in a moment. But let me just conclude by saying this. The only way that we can deny ourselves and take up our cross is, is by remembering that we're not alone. And, 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 and that Jesus 
entered into the discomfort he's calling us to, and he emerged victorious. He emerged victorious. He conquered death itself. And so as we enter into sufferings and trials, as we, as we carry our cross, know that we will be victorious. And let's not have short-term vision. Let's look long-term and see where are we going to be. We're going to end up victorious. The biblical text, that main text that we read today, teaches them some key truths about what it means to follow Jesus. And if we're honest, if I'm honest, which I hope we all are, those truths can be difficult to accept at times, particularly when you hear Jesus speaking them. But let's find comfort. Let's find comfort, folks, in knowing that as we walk our own way to Calvary, Jesus is with us every step of the way. In this house, we are real. But we also make mistakes. And when we do, we make sure we say sorry. We give second chances to anyone. And we also have lots of fun. In this house, we definitely forgive. We also do loud. We give the best hugs. We are family. And in this house, that means we we love. love.